0: Chapter Six of The Riddle Ring by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six, Clelia Vine. Conrad put off his return to London. He did not, perhaps, quite know why. Possibly the principal reason was that the Moorfields interested him, and he was all unconsciously anxious to be interested in something as well as his ill-gifted ring. They did not, however, appear at the table d'hote any more. They had evidently arranged their sitting-room to their satisfaction, and they preferred to dine in their own apartment. He missed them, and was almost sorry he had not kept to his original purpose and left for London. But he received a civil little note asking him to have luncheon with them the next day and to dine with them and some English friends on the day but one after. Then he changed his mind, and was glad he had not gone back to London. Gertrude Moorfield interested and amused him. She did not seem a lovable creature, he thought, lovable, that is, in the young man's sense, and in any case, of course, he said to himself, he could never care for any woman again. But he was amused and piqued by her absurd little theories about life, and he admired her devotion to her mother. The devotion had to be divined. It was not made manifest in any patent way. The girl seemed to have few opinions in common with her mother. She sometimes even spoke to her mother in a tone that was at least half-snubbing. She did not seem to Jim to be altogether a good-tempered girl but she was evidently devoted to her mother, and was willing to pass the greater part of her life in foreign health resorts because she thought it might do her mother good. Of course, Jim knew very well that there were numbers of English girls who would do just the same thing for the same purpose, but he was not quite certain whether there were so many good English girls who would do quite the same thing without trying to make some little capital out of it in the way of a reputation for self-sacrifice. On the day after the luncheon party, Conrad took the two women to see some picture galleries and other sights. He was amused with the comments of Gertrude on some of the pictures. She found the same fault with them, for the most part, that she found with fiction. "'Where is truth?' "'She asked with asperity as they stood before a famous picture in the Luxembourg. "'There are no women with such perfect figures as that,' she proclaimed dogmatically and almost angrily. "'No,' Conrad asked gently. "'But even so, is not that only another reason for giving us a glimpse of the ideal?' "'Give me the truth,' she said inexorably is ugliness truth i don't care if it is give it to us and let us know from the first what we have to put up with then do you think we are all ugly oh yes most of us gertrude my love her mother gently interjected no pray mrs morefield let us have this out am i ugly well i think all men are more or less ugly but then ugliness does not matter in a man i certainly don't think you are ugly but i don't mean to enlarge on that particular illustration no don't she said with puckered eyebrows and looking conrad thought amazingly and cruelly pretty but don't you think any woman beautiful oh yes her face perhaps or her eyes or her figure but there isn't any perfection and the painters and the sculptors have no right to try to take us in i see so when you form your republic the painters and sculptors will be kept out of it along with the novelists and the poets and the patriots yes certainly unless they learn to paint and chisel on the right principles quite so and the right principles what are they my principles of course the young lady said composedly nothing could be settled better conrad replied with humorous deference she appeared to him to be perfectly serious He was greatly amused and not ill-pleased when Gertrude, on their parting for the day, gave him a very friendly pressure of the hand, and told him that when he found the hotel at all dull, she and her mother would be glad if he would pay them a visit at their rooms in the evening. He found the hotel very dull, and he paid them a visit in their rooms. Then the evening came for the dinner-party. He, poor youth, not yet recovered from a hopeless disappointment which was to blight his whole life dressed himself nevertheless with exceeding care he was amazingly particular about his shirt-front his necktie his silk socks his shoes and all the rest of his gear man's broken heart not uncommonly prefers to be covered by a very white smooth and stiff shirt-front yet it is certain that conrad did not recognize in himself the faintest suggestion of any sentimental feeling towards miss Morfield, but he was lonely and she was pretty and very peculiar and interesting and she was a young woman and he was a young man and she had made paris become suddenly interesting to him who had no longer any interest in anything Nothing could be better arranged than the little dinner party in Mrs. Moorfield's rooms. The dining-room was small, but it was daintily fitted up, and looked, with its flowers and its fronds, like a dining-room in some graceful home, and not at all like a dining-room in a big hotel. The table was round, and brought the guests pleasantly together. In the drawing-room Jim had been presented to the lady he was to take in to dinner, she was a handsome and tall young englishwoman the company were all english apparently lady diana congreve the wife of the honourable henry congreve a handsome young soldier who was the younger son of the earl of witchfield lady diana was undoubtedly younger than jim but by virtue of her being a married woman even though but lately married she gave herself airs and in a moment impressed him with the conviction that she considered herself infinitely more aged and authoritative than he could possibly be he was a little late in arriving he had been on his usual pilgrimage to the bois de boulogne and he had hardly time to see anyone except his hostess and her daughter and lady diana and he conducted her from the drawing-room at the front of the floor to the dining-room at the back do you know the people here she asked as she went along beside him i don't think so at least i haven't had time to see anybody except you and of course the Morfields. so of the company generally you have only seen me yes and i don't know that i want to see anybody else oh come that is very crude as a compliment In my time, boys were not allowed to pay compliments. Now, where are we, I wonder? My sight is short. I can't read the names on these cards. I can read them. You can read already? Precocious boy. Conrad had hardly seated himself at the dinner table when, happening to glance all unconsciously down his right-hand side, he became aware of the photographed girl turned back into an original. Yes, that was the original of the photograph, about that there could be no mistake. She was dressed very quietly in a black silk evening gown which set off the whiteness of her shoulders and her arms. But what Conrad noticed especially was the exquisite moulding of her pale face and the brightness of her deep, dark blue eyes. To him, just then, they looked under the lamplight almost black, that is, as far as eyes ever can be really black. Afterwards, he came to know that they were only a very deep grey, backgrounded with blue. Something made the girl look up and look in his direction, and their eyes met for a moment. I should like to have that woman for a friend, Jim Conrad thought, With a sudden thrill at his heart, he pulled himself together and rattled away in talk with his dinner-table partner. But he did not always quite know what she was saying to him or what he was saying to her. Still, they managed to get on somehow, and he could flatter himself that he had contrived to occupy her attention fairly well, all things considered. Can you tell me who that girl is on the other side of the table? Lady Diana suddenly asked. There! And she nodded her chin. The pale girl in black, I mean. Yes, I think I know who she is, for I was shown a photograph of her. Mrs. Moorfield showed it to me the other day. She is a friend of the Moorfields. I don't know anything more about her than that. I don't know her name. Don't you think she is a very remarkable-looking girl? Very, very indeed i think she is very handsome handsome well no i would not say handsome but remarkable decidedly remarkable she seems to me the sort of woman who must have a story behind her don't you think so oh yes i certainly think so jim said abstractedly evidently you are not much taken with her You discuss her in that casual sort of way. Now, if I were a man, I think I should be greatly taken with her. Indeed, Jim said, not knowing in the least what he was saying. I wonder why you should think so. Think what? Think that you are not taken with her, or that I should be if I were a man. I beg your pardon, poor Jim said vaguely i do believe you have not been listening to a single word i was saying now i withdraw all my former opinions and i am coming fast to the conclusion that the girl in black has bewitched you but i never saw her before and i have never spoken to her well lady diana said complacently If I know anything of young men, you will see her tonight in the drawing-room, and you will speak to her, and you will remember the night because of her. Well, look here. Will you come to me after you have talked to her and tell me what you think of her? I dare say she is a very commonplace sort of woman. Jim endeavoured to be very cool and indifferent. You don't think it a bit. "'said Lady Diana. "'The English fashion of the dinner-table was not followed. "'The ladies and gentlemen had coffee together "'and cigarettes for those who would smoke them. "'Lady Diana enjoyed a cigarette and cared not who knew it. "'Hal and I smoke and drink together,' she said, "'nodding at her handsome husband. "'But you can't join me with a cigar,' Hal said. "'And you are not equal to a brandy and soda?' "'If men may smoke, women may smoke,' Gertrude asserted. "'Certainly,' Mr Congreve admitted. "'And if men drink a whisky and seltzer, a woman has a right to drink two. "'I don't mean to drink also. "'I mean to drink two whiskies and two seltzers. "'Or perhaps two whiskies and one seltzer.' ''You don't take woman seriously,'' Gertrude said sternly. ''He doesn't take me seriously,'' Lady Diana said with a smile. ''You don't take yourself seriously, dear.'' ''Why should I? I can get more fun out of life by not taking anything seriously, even myself.'' The girl whose photograph Jim had seen took no part in the general conversation she talked in a low tone with mrs morefield and occasionally vouchsafed a remark to the man who had taken her in to dinner whom jim afterwards discovered to be a fashionable london physician who had obtained recent renown by the promulgation of the doctrine that all disease came from the use of salt and could be cured by a liberal imbibing of hot water in which iron nails had been soaked the company at last wandered off to the drawing-room there conrad promptly forsook lady diana although when she seated herself on a sofa she made a motion with her skirts as if to afford a space for him he at once made for miss morefield i have recognized the original of the photograph he whispered he had grown wonderfully confidential with her of late "'Of course you have. Well, isn't she striking? Don't you think her very handsome?' "'Really, I do. And I know you are not the sort of girl who wants to hear her pretty friends disparaged.' "'Oh, no, indeed. I want to hear my friends praised. But you must not call her pretty. I can't have that.' "'No, she is much more than pretty.' "'She is quite different from anything pretty. "'I can imagine people thinking her not beautiful "'because she is too much out of the common pattern. "'The pattern of the common plays handsome English women "'whom nature reels off by the dozen. "'You must not speak contemptuously of any women,' "'Miss Moorfield said with puckering eyebrows. "'And it ought not to matter whether a woman is handsome or ugly.' "'Oh, but it does, though.' Jim fervently interjected. An ugly woman has her place in the scheme of the universe as well as a pretty one. I suppose so, but I don't work the scheme of the universe, and so the ugly women don't concern me. I am very glad you don't work the scheme of the universe, for you would certainly work it very badly and after the fashion of a very silly young man. You must be awfully young. Older than you, anyhow. But a woman is always much older than a man in proportion to years, and it makes me feel that you are so ridiculously young when you talk as if there was nothing in the world to be thought of but a woman's pretty face. It makes me angry to hear men prate like that. But you yourself called my attention to the face of your friend, and you were angry when I carelessly spoke of it as pretty because you did not think the word was half good enough. What has that got to do with the question? I say that she is handsome, and I want to have justice done to her. But I do not love her merely because she is handsome. Never mind, we won't argue about her, or about woman's beauty, and whether it ought to be the only thing thought of when we are making our estimates of woman's place in life. Don't you want to be introduced to my friend, Miss Vine, Clelia Vine? "'Of course I do. What a pretty classical name, Clelia. I am most anxious to make her acquaintance.' "'Acquaintance? I don't think she is a girl who cares much about multiplying acquaintances. If she does not soon take to as a friend, she will contrive to let you know.' "'And then,' Conrad asked in affected dismay, "'what shall I do?' fall back on me miss morefield promptly answered with a saucy kindly smile ah then i am all right happen what will conrad said and the good-humoured little lady brought him up and presented him to her friend some man was talking to miss vine but he politely gave way when conrad was brought up by the daughter of the hostess and Jim settled himself down in the chair beside the girl with the deep, dark eyes. She gave him a sweet and gracious welcome, frank, unconcerned, almost commonplace in its frankness. Jim had expected something more in the style of the tragic muse. I am very glad to meet you, Mr. Conrad. I have heard a great deal about you today from Mrs. Moorfield and from Gertrude. "'Gertrude Moorfield is my dearest friend.' "'Yes, and I have heard about you, and I have studied your photograph, and I recognised you the moment I saw you at the dinner-table.' "'The photograph is a very good likeness,' the girl quietly said. "'It was done specially for Gertrude. "'I am very fond of her, although we don't always quite agree in our views of things.' "'What are your views of things?' Oh, well, perhaps it is there that the difference comes in. I can't say that I have any particular views of things, and she has, and she thinks that all women ought to have. I haven't read as much as she has, and I don't know enough to form any opinions worth the forming, and I'm afraid she thinks me a little egotistical. Egotistical? That certainly was not the opinion of you which she expressed to me. Oh, no, I dare say not. I know she thinks very highly of me, and she certainly would not give me away to a stranger. And, indeed, all her geese are swans, as I have often told her. But just because she likes me, she thinks I ought to take a deeper interest in human affairs. She is an enthusiast about human affairs, Conrad said. "'She is, but it is curious. "'She is a downright enthusiast about her mother and her friends, "'and she can discuss the problems of life "'with the composure of an ancient philosopher. "'She puzzles me sometimes, but I love her always. "'I do hope she will be happy.' "'Why should she not be? Some man will make her happy.' "'Miss Vine smiled i'm sure gertrude would say if she heard you how like a man to say that to say what to say that some man will make her happy but surely a man is ordained one might say to make a woman happy a man is ordained perhaps to make a woman unhappy she spoke those words with a sudden expression of earnestness and of conviction then As if she felt she had been showing too much of earnestness and conviction, she at once relapsed into her ordinary tone of voice. "'You have not known Gertrude Moorfield long?' "'No, only met her and her mother quite lately. But we have some close friends in common. I like them very much, the mother and daughter.' "'In my mind,' she said, "'their existence raises the average of humanity.' I only hope that child will be happy. Well, she professes that she will be able to keep free from one of the great troubles of humanity. What is that? Oh, come now, falling in love, of course. Has she been telling that to you? Yes, as a matter of casual talk, not as any matter of confidence. What did she tell you? She told me that she had never been in love. Oh, that and the girl made an impatient movement with her shoulders. Yes, that, but she also said that she never meant to fall in love. Of course, I know that lots of girls say that. She isn't like lots of girls, and I am sure she meant it when she said it, but I know well that there is a loving heart under all that philosophic exterior, and I am afraid about her, and I want her to be very happy. And do you think she can't be if she falls in love? Oh, no, I did not say that. But she is a girl likely to be disappointed if she does not meet with the right man. You know that her mother is in very delicate health. Yes, I know that. She only keeps alive by going about to warm climates in the winter, and I don't think she knows how much danger she is in. But Gertrude knows it. One of her troubles is to keep in perpetually good spirits, so that her mother may not think that she is alarmed. Of course, if anything were to happen to her mother, and the right man had not come... She stopped. Well, then? Then I suppose Gertrude and I would give up civilization together and start off in companionship for some wilderness. Come, I hope that won't happen. I think it would please me, well, not the death of my dear friend Mrs. Moorfield, heaven forbid, but to go away from civilization with Gertrude and live our own lives and not think about the world any more. But I suppose it would not suit her, she added with a half-suppressed sigh. "'That is another reason why I wish she could find that right man "'and fall in love with him, or at least let him fall in love with her.' "'I am sure such a life would not suit you in the least,' Jim said earnestly. "'You do not know me. You know nothing about me.' "'I hope to know you,' he said gently. "'I hope you will allow me to know you.' "'Oh, yes, surely.' "'Any friend of the Moorfields is already, by right of friendship, a friend of mine. "'You know I am staying with them and shall be travelling with them. "'You will see me if you come to see them, and of course you will do that.' "'Yes, of course I shall do that.' "'The company was evidently on the break-up. "'One or two guests had already gone.' "'Jim felt a strong anxiety to get a touch of his new friend's hand before leaving. "'His proper course was doubtless to say good-night to his hostess first, "'and then to her daughter, and then to get out of the room with a general all-round bow. "'But he felt that he could never get back to Miss Vine "'once he had taken farewell of the Moorfield women, and he was rendered desperate. "'He must touch her hand. "'Good-night.' he said, and he held out his hand. She put hers into it, but she gave him not the faintest pressure, simply laid her hand in his and allowed him to clasp it. It felt cold to his touch. He was sorry he had taken any pains to get at this parting salutation. Then he found his hostess. Don't go just yet, she said. You see, we are under the same roof. You are at home. Stay a little and talk to us. Jim delightedly stayed. The outer guests, if we may call them so, took their leave. Lady Diana asked Jim to come and see her in Biarritz, if he went that way in the season. And Jim promised that he certainly would call at her villa if he went that way, knowing full well that he had not the slightest intention of going that way. "Now," said Miss Morfield when the outer world had departed, "let us draw our chairs together and talk." "What shall we talk about?" Jim asked tentatively. "Let us talk about life," Miss Morfield promptly answered. "But what is life?" Jim asked, trying to throw himself into the spirit of Miss Morfield's investigation. "That's just what I want to find out." Miss Moorfield answered. "'I think I know enough about life,' Mrs. Moorfield said with a smile. "'I think I am content with my experiences, "'and only ask that I may not have any worse. "'To me life is resignation.' "'To me life is hope,' said Miss Moorfield. "'Doesn't somebody say?' Miss Vine struck in. "'That the one lesson of life is renunciation. "'Thou shalt renounce. "'It is Goethe, isn't it?' "'It is Goethe,' Jim answered. "'But we must not take it that way. "'We must not take it as his own view of things. "'He puts the sentiment into the mouth of his world wearied fast.' "'The feeling has always appealed to me,' she said. "'But surely at your time of life you cannot be unhappy?' jim said bluntly i am living she replied come this talk is getting too gloomy mrs morefield said we ought to have some ghost stories to enliven us conrad wished very much that the young lady who had made this cheerless answer was an outside guest as well as the others But he wished this only because she would then have had to go away, and would have left him alone with the mother and daughter, and he could have asked them all about her and about her story, and why she seemed so depressed, and why her views of life were those of the world-wearied Faust before he started on his new tour of youth and emotion, and of experience to be drawn from every source and every age. But the girl was staying with the Morfields in their rooms, and he had to go away without learning anything of her history. "'You stay in Paris how long?' he asked of Mrs. Morfield as he was taking his leave. "'In Paris? How long, Gertrude? How long do we stay in Paris?' "'Well, mamma, until it is time for us to go somewhere else, where we shall still find something like summer.' "'We have to follow the sun, Mr. Conrad,' Mrs. Moorfield said with a saddened smile. "'Happy you who can follow him,' Conrad replied. "'I have to go back to London for the winter, and we shan't get much sun there.' "'I hate London,' Miss Vine declared. "'Oh, come, you are an unpatriotic young Englishwoman,' Mrs. Moorfield protested. Mama! gertrude interposed you know what i think of the abominable heresy of patriotism why should not clelia like france better than england and paris better than london if she feels so inclined but i am afraid i hate paris too clelia said in a low tone have you just come from london conrad asked yes she has just come from london mrs morefield answered for her Miss Vine did not answer for herself. Conrad thought he saw a glance pass between the two girls. "'Is this your first day in Paris?' he asked, hardly knowing why he put such a question. "'My first day in Paris? Oh, no, I have spent years in Paris.' "'No, I meant your first day in Paris this time.' "'She came yesterday.' mrs morefield said again answering for her the young girl still made no answer for herself and jim fancied that he again saw a line of light flash from the eyes of one girl to the eyes of the other may i call to he asked of mrs morefield not may but must gertrude morefield answered with her winsome smile Jim went to his room feeling less disconsolate than he had felt most times of late. The dark-eyed girl was a puzzle to him, and he thought of her much as he sat later on in the courtyard and smoked. End of chapter 6